Hey, everyone, you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. It's officially award season, the time where we reflect on the most impactful performances of the last year. In 2013, Berlin elected Tar as its principal conductor, and she's remained there ever since. My king, the Europeans wish to conquer us. They will not stop until the whole of Africa is theirs. There's a young singer from Memphis, Tennessee. Give him a warm hayride welcome. Mr. Elvis Presley. Today, the Oscars announced all the nominees and the movie with the most nominations. The Academy favorite, the people's favorite, heck, my favorite, is everything, everywhere, all at once. Across the multiverse, I've seen thousands of Evelyns. You can access all their memories, their emotions, even their skills. It follows the story of a family on the verge of collapse in both their relationships and their laundry business. But then they take a surreal trip across the multiverse, where they battle and become alternative versions of themselves. The movie is stacked with a legendary cast and one very notable legend in the making. That's Jobu Tupaki, the world-destroying, multi-dimensional villain played by Stephanie Hsu. And it being a multiverse, she also plays Joy, a daughter trying to find her way. I don't want to hurt anymore, and for some reason when I'm with you, it just... It just hurts the both of us. Stephanie's performance is outrageous, absurd, and sincere. It'll make you laugh, cry, it might even make you call your parents. She's already been nominated for a SAG Award and a Critics' Choice Award. And today, she was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress. In this episode, we'll get into how her background in experimental theater prepared her for this breakthrough role, and why the film's success stretches far beyond award season. Here's my chat with Stephanie Hsu. Stephanie Shu, welcome to It's Been a Minute. Thank, Thank you so much you. for joining us. Thanks for having me. And in studio, in I person. Know. So exciting to have you. And during this very ripe season right now. Repay. For you. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. You know, obviously so many people know you from your dual role and everything, everywhere, all at once. But I want to go back to some of your roots and talk about how that might have influenced the way that you approach this role. You did a lot of experimental theater when you yes. were getting started. But you also were in a comedy troupe, a comedy troupe that was originally started by Donald Glover, I believe, that you were encouraged to join by Rachel Bloom. Yes. (laughs) And who you were in with, Bowen Yang. Yes. Bowen was in the improv group. I was in the sketch group. Yes. But I wonder, what was one of your favorite skits from that (laughs) time when you were working in this comedy troupe? So Matt Rogers, who is also friends with Bowen, also an incredible comedian. They host Last Culturistas together. I was sort of Matt's muse in our sketch group. He was a really prolific writer, and he would always write things for me. And 
I don't remember what happens in this sketch, but it was called Flarge, and I was Flarge. <laughs> and he wrote a lot of sketches like that for me. There was also one that I do remember called Moose, and it was a bunch of bros kind of gathering around. They're like, oh, yeah, Moose is awesome. I heard Moose <laughs> can chug a six-pack and smash it on someone's head, and then it sort of heightens like that. We're like, yeah, I, I heard Moose, like, killed someone once. <laughs> and then I walk out at the very end, and I'm Moose, and I'm this, like, cute little girl in a jumpsuit. <laughs> Um, in a polka dot onesie. And then I, I think I like eat someone's face or something crazy happens. <laughs> but yeah, Flarge and Moose and Jobu Tupaki. So <laughs> same, same. I was going to say, I'm like, when you bring that up, I'm like, hmm. I know. Like m- Moose like eats someone's face. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm like, this is You're like a tracking. Yeah. Vibes. No, I, I mean, I do think that something that has always been true about me is that I do like to get weird. I like to be surprising and I like to stretch myself and surprise myself beyond what I see on the page because that's the fun of it. I'm glad you bring up wildness because <laughs> that reminds me of your audition video for Everything Everywhere All at Once, which yes. has gone viral. Viral. Yes, <laughs> definitely viral indeed. It was amazing. I mean, for me, just from my perspective, it was amazing to see how you had such a clear idea in your mind of how you wanted the character to come across. The video itself is mesmerizing, and you really do bring a real wildness to it. Yeah. Don't let me fight you. I'm really, really good. I don't believe you. Say that again. Don't make me fight you. I don't believe you. Say it again. I'm really, really good. I don't believe you! (laughs) Okay, look, uh, let me help you, um, let me help you, uh, open up your mind, yeah? Open it up. Slide your fingers into mine. What did it feel like to do that audition? Like, how were you feeling in the room that day? Yeah, you know, the Daniels showed me that video recently at the Hamptons Film Festival. Mm-hmm. I hadn't seen it. That audition video was from 2019. You know, wow, and the movie, yeah, hadn't, hadn't seen, it. seen it. I'd never seen it. And they asked me permission. And I said, sure, surprise me as long as I'm not terrible. <laughs> and it was quite healing, actually, to witness, like, oh, wow, I guess I really did bring something to this. And I know I knew that, but just to see the very bare bones of that performance and the magic that even happened in that audition room that day. Absolutely. I mean, you know, the Daniels have since said that it's one of the wildest auditions that they've ever (laughs) There were even crazier things that happened. I remember, (laughs) like, slamming my butt against a wall and a painting fell. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I heard that you'd said things like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if I didn't get this part? Like, Like, saying, wouldn't it be funny if I didn't get this part in an audition? There's all sorts of roles I can imagine that people need to really provide like an off-the-wall yeah. audition to nail, right? Yeah. But, I mean, you really went for it, though. You I really did. went for well, it. Well, I also had nothing to lose because, yes, I had been on Broadway. Yes, I was on Maisel. I didn't know who Sarah Finn was. She's one of the biggest casting directors in Hollywood. Wow. I didn't know a- Michelle Yeoh was attached I understood sort of A24, what the concept of that was, but I didn't really get it, you know? And so for me, it was like, hey, this is what I would like to bring to it, and this is what I like to do, and take it or leave it, and I love you guys, and so no matter what happens, it's all good. But it was so wild and unruly that I was putting so much of my art heart out there that I was like, 
Yeah, that'd be pretty funny if I didn't get this, huh? Because y'all are seeing all inside me. Like, I have splayed myself open. I'm a splayed. I don't know why I keep... I'm sleepy today, so I guess when I'm sleepy, I say a splayed or... Your eyes are open and that's the most important thing. (laughs) Like, that's a good thing to do when you're sleepy. But you all had collaborated together previously on an episode of Nora from Queens. Yes. um, That they had directed. What about them gave you that feeling that like, oh, we are meant to work together. Like we're we're soulmates in that way. I think, well, we giggle really hard together. I think we have a very similar (laughs) sense of humor and unapologetic sense of humor. The thing about the Daniels is that they deeply want to make the world a better place. And coming from experimental theater, my mentors always taught me that if you have a voice, use it. And being an artist is a huge responsibility because you have to make work that is in communication with the world at large that you're living in. Even if it doesn't reach millions of people, if it reaches 10, use your voice for good. And the Daniels deeply, deeply, deeply care about humanity. Mm, oh, and it, it was definitely felt. The <laughs> impact definitely lines up with the intent. But I want to touch on something you just said about you all having a similar sense of humor. I guess <laughs> without my knowing, my first impression of the Daniels came from the video of Turn Down for What? Turn Down for What? Yes. Which was like a huge song, maybe like nine or ten years ago. The video was completely off the wall. It's complete mayhem. <laughs> I wonder, like, was that something you saw and you were like, oh, yeah, like these these are the guys for me. <laughs> well, the first day that we walked onto set together, you know, they were blowing like a leaf blower on my face. And at the end of the night. On set for the film. For Nora from Queens. For Nora from Queens. L- mm-hmm. Literally the first day we ever officially worked together. Yeah. Someone was like b- blowing a leaf blower at my face so that the camera could catch my cheeks in slow motion. So they looked wiggly and jiggly. (laughs) And then at the end of the day, Daniel Shiner like climbed onto a ladder and dumped mud on my head just like in slow-mo. So it looked like, you know, anyway, very (laughs) crazy. But um, it was actually day two or three when Harry Shum Jr., who plays Rakakuni in Everything Everywhere, um, he was also in that episode. And Harry Shum Jr. was like, do you remember that music video turned down for what? Those are the guys. And I was like, <laughs> no. Like, what? What? I was like, what? <laughs> and so I went home that night and rewatched it. And, you know, there's a lot of gyrating and a lot of body that is in that music video. Yes. <laughs> and yes. I remember going to work the next day. And in the middle of a take, I just started breaking out laughing because Dan Kwan, one of our directors, is the main guy in Turn Down for What? Yeah. And I was like, Dan, I, I can't stop seeing a lot of craziness right, that happens in the video. Um, a lot of body. A lot of body. A lot of Again, body correct. I'm, I'm giving you NPR version, but it's a lot of body. And I couldn't stop seeing the body. <laughs> um, yeah. I want to touch back on, on how you how you portrayed Joe Budapaki. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, one of the things I noticed, I was uh, re-watching the film last night, and there's a completely different physicality yeah. between Joy and Jobu. Like, Joy is... She's a young woman. She's strong-willed. She's having this tension with her family. And that comes through in the way that she moves. Uh, but she's still a lot more relaxed. Totally. <laughs> Jobu yeah. Jobu has such sharp joints and such, such sharp edges. I wonder how your experimental theater training came into how you used, like, the instrument of your body yeah. in, in approaching, the, specifically, the Jobu portion. Of your Thank body. you for noticing 
the body is where I enter for sure. And with a role and dual role like Joy and Jobu, it's so, it was so important to me to differentiate them. I knew that Joy was going to become Jobu, so I wanted to start Joy as unassuming, kind of swallowed in her sweatshirt mm. and just almost invisible, you know, yeah. because I knew she was about to get to come out in an Elvis suit, walking a pig, smoking a sit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Swaggering. Swaggering hard. But I also knew that same villain was going to have to become the daughter again and it would have to be big enough that the end scene catharsis would be satisfying and mm. also surprising in a different way. Mm. But I remember when I was preparing for the role, I was doing a workshop of a show at Mass Mocha, actually, mm -hmm. and the Daniels really let me into their process. So they sent me a lookbook of images that they had pulled for the movie. They sent me a playlist that was inspiration for Ooh, the film. Yeah. Um, and bubbles were a really big thing. And mm. there was a a light installation at Mass Mocha and I did this like physical dance, this kind of like worm dance. With the light With the light. Yeah, exactly. So I did a lot of kind of just experimenting and sending them videos of like, mm -hmm. what if Jobu moves like this? And we wanted her to be as sharp as she was also like Jello because if she can verse jump or become anything at any moment, she mm. is as tough as she is completely malleable. After the break, Stephanie tells us how the nihilism of her characters liberated her, and we get into the catharsis of intergenerational healing. How did you build out that characterization, understanding that she was so linked to Joy? Our intern Jamal pointed out that because of the expectations that parents place on their children, mm. even if they're like hopes, right? They're still those are still expectations. You kind of have no choice as the child mm. to kind of become Jobu Tohaki mm -hmm, to your mm -hmm. parent, whatever their hope, their dream for you. Almost nobody in the world ever hews to that one hundred percent, right? And so you kind of become the Jobu Tohaki, the villain in their story to a certain degree. Totally. Is that resonating with you? Yeah, I always say that Joy and Jobu are two very different expressions of the same core, and the core is nihilism. Joy is a version where if nothing matters, then you can feel at the end of your rope, there's no hope, there's no reason to continue. And if Jobu thinks that nothing matters, then you can be the ultimate creator of chaos. And I feel like when you look at it in the version that you're kind of speaking of, Joy feels like she's failed her mother. And there's no way for her to be the daughter that her mother wants her to be. And so Jobu's like, you know, well, you think that was bad? Well, watch this. Watch me scare you even more mm. and actually show you what's inside and how messy and chaotic and wild it is. But I also think like, I said to the Daniels when we were, we were thinking a lot about nihilism and that mm. was kind of the first time I ever deep dived on that concept of nothing matters. And I said to them, you know, I, I think nihilism has saved my life in a way because it's completely liberated me. I care very deeply and sometimes I perhaps care too much. My new truth is that <laughs> nothing matters. None of us know anything. We don't know what we're doing. We're all trying our very hardest to figure it out together. And that's kind of nice and 
opens up a new space for compassion in a very confusing time where we don't have answers. I have no idea what the world's going to look like in five years. You know, I, I don't five know months. tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. But I do believe that we're all doing our best to try to figure it out. It reminds me of how, like, beautifully sincere the film was. Mm. Um, these moments of the film, I would be in the theater. I was laughing <laughs> my butt off. And then would turn around, like, 22 seconds later, and I had tears streaming down <laughs> my face. Uh, when I was rewatching the film last night, the first frame comes up. It was like sense memory. I just immediately, my eyes sprang with tears. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, we see Joy with her parents singing karaoke and I'm like oh my god I'm already there it feels like there's this wackiness but also sincerity that's like at the film's center I mean those are two kind of almost opposites in a certain Mm. way I wonder like how does that combination of like wacky or bizarre and sincere why do you think that resonates so deeply with viewers You know, and I haven't talked to anyone about this, but it does remind me of clowning work that I did back in the day. And clowning work. Clowning work. And so some of the funniest clowns are actually the most tragic ones. And I do feel like on a larger level, our movie kind of makes you laugh so much that it kind of softens the muscles in your heart so that you can be available to hold that vulnerability. And also to show you, hey, we're not afraid of being strange. Like, we're not afraid to be wild and weird. You're safe with us. Now cry. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's exactly how it happened. But also, that's how most close relationships are developed, right? Like, when you meet your partner Mm -hmm. or your closest friends. Yeah. You're not, like, immediately, well, hopefully— if you're practicing good boundaries, yeah, you're not yeah, immediately yeah, yeah. meeting people and like, like going trauma bonding. Yes, yeah. <laughs> trauma bonding and crying. It happens. You get close enough through good times, through laughter, through joy yeah. to then feel comfortable being yeah. held in those moments when you want to completely let go and cry. And, you know, I'm sure you've had moments where you're laughing so hard that you somehow start tearing up or you cry. <laughs> yeah. In a clowning exercise, sometimes they do. It's like you just have to keep laughing. And it's a, actually like a muscular exercise where you laugh so hard that you end up crying drama school is weird i guess no it's okay i used to go i used i'm I'm a um (laughs) i've been to a lot of breathwork classes in my day okay definitely the uh the laughing or deep breathing to start crying yeah it's all body yeah to go back to some of the hilarity in the film yes you said that your favorite scene to shoot was the hallway scene. Yes. I mean, in the hallways, I mean, I say hallway scene. In this film, the hallway scene is like, it stretches on. You've got multiple costume changes. At one point, you've got like these big rubber models of genitals in each hand. Body. Body parts. I got body, yeah. Yes, body in <laughs> I'm each I'm holding hand. body. You're holding body, <laughs> waving it around. You're slapping a security guard in the yeah. face with it. Yeah. I'm seeing like, the costumes are going from like, Full Comme de Garçon inspired stuff. Totally. To like a total like muffy country (laughs) club prepster like golfing outfit. Golf girl. Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder like how much how much input did you have into the filmmaking process? Like how much input did you have into like some of the just wild antics that you were able to get into in character. It was a really collaborative process. Um, Shirley Carrada is our legendary costume designer. She's, She's amazing. amazing. And it's actually crazy. Did you did she mention Come to Garcon in an interview? 
Because no, she that loves was just, Comme de Garcon. Well, that was just what I noticed from, from looking, I mean, yeah. from watching the film. But yeah. Good eye. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the movie was built in a very scrappy way, in the way that it was all hands on deck, mm-hmm. very collaborative. You know, I describe it like Shirley and I would go off into a little corner and start trying things on and be like, hee, 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 what if we put on that one too? <laughs> and just kind of a hat on a hat on a hat on a hat. Yeah. And we wanted to take every look to its infinite extreme. And it was so fun. It was so fun. And the biggest challenge for me was to not lean into the costumes, was actually mm. to resist them and get to be so fabulous but unfazed by how fantastical the costumes were Mm. because again she's so powerful like of course she's dressed as elvis duh (laughs) you know like of course of course it's comme des garçons right good for you you know of course she's changing wigs every 48 seconds yeah exactly this film everything everywhere all at once obviously you're incredible in it but there are so many actors in that film between michelle yo james hong kihi kwan who have had these incredible careers and contributed to cinema history, contributed to Hollywood, contributed to acting in in so many ways that, you know, you've even said have paved the way for your career to even exist. Totally. What was it like to get on set (laughs) and and have your co-stars be these people who had carved a path for you to, to do this work that you love? You know, it's pretty wild because, you know, as I'm sure you've seen, this is the first time Michelle's ever been number one on the call sheet. Key left acting for over 20 years right. because there were no roles available for him. I honestly rejected the mainstream for so long because it felt like the type of artistry that I was capable of or wanted to express, there was no space for me to show that or hold all of me. Right. And James Hong, you know, he started acting when people would just call him Chinaman. Like they wouldn't even, they, he didn't even have a name. Oh my gosh. And, Here we are playing a family in one movie together. And I've been thinking a lot about how our movie is so much about what we're now calling intergenerational trauma. Mm. And there's something about the success of this movie. Oh, now I'm getting welly. Mm. Um, The success of this movie and us getting to be there together that I'm feeling this. Oh, my God. I'm so surprised. Um, Don't worry. I'm used to crying. (laughs) I cry all the time. Um, Every award show, I'm crying. Um, Where I feel like there's intergenerational healing that's happening. Mm. Us getting to be there together and go on this journey feels like we're helping a circle complete and fix some wounds that have happened to each and every single one of us at different points in our lives. So that's important too, right? It's like we want to talk about the trauma, but it's very important to also recognize the moments of healing and name that as well. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining. I'm so glad that you came. This was so much fun. Thanks for having me. I'm really glad that I got to talk with you during this just incredible time. You got me squishy. You got my (laughs) squishy side. That was Stephanie Shu. Oscar-nominated actress and star of Everything Everywhere All at Once. To see a video version of this interview, check out NPR Podcasts on YouTube. This episode was produced by Jessica Mendoza, Jamal Michelle, Alexis Williams, and Barton Girdwood. Engineering support came from Carly Strange, Patrick Murray. It was edited by Jessica Plotchek. I'm Brittany Luce, and we'll be back Friday with another episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR.